Um, I imagine most people have heard of the seven wonders of the world, right? You guys have all heard of the seven wonders of the world. There's seven places on the planet that are just mind-boggling and totally different than any other places on the whole planet Earth. I've only been to one of them. It would be fun to visit the others in a lifetime. Doubt that'll happen, but you never know. But the first one is the Aurora Borealis. I think I have some pictures up here since I can't take you. And that's up in the north, and you see this phenomenon uh, of lights that, that can only be seen at certain times, not year-round. I have a friend named Olaf. He lives in Sweden. Cliche name, right? But he really is. His name is Olaf. Is a beard like this and a shaved head. He's a stud. But he'll send me pictures of the northern lights because he gets to see them sometimes. Next one is the Grand Canyon. Who's been to the Grand Canyon? Grand Canyon is pretty darn amazing. You have 277 miles in the Grand Canyon. That's phenomenon of that. The Colorado River made that. And if you have, have ever been there, you remember there's a, like a glass floor you can walk on where you're out over and you can look down and see how high you are. It'll, it'll make you catch your breath. It, the, the seven wonders of the world are things that you just behold and go, wow, like this is amazing. That's what happens. The third one is the Great Barrier Reef. And the Great Barrier Reef is um, 1,600 miles of living coral, and it's off the Australia coastline. And that is the only living organism that can be seen from outer space. Pretty interesting. Next one is Mount Everest. Mount Everest, wow. And it's located in the Himalayan mountain range near the border of Tibet, China, and Nepal with a summit of almost 30,000 feet. You've done a 14er, you're barely scratching the surface compared to what Mount Everest is about. And then Victoria Falls. That is an wa amazing waterfall on the border of Zambia and Zimbabwe. And it's, if you've been to the Niagara Falls before, this makes Niagara Falls look small. And Niagara Falls is a pretty impressive sight to behold as well. And then there's the Paracutin volcano. It's in Mexico. Look at the size of that volcano. It's almost 10,000 feet at the peak. And it actually last erupted in 1952. So it's one of the seven wonders of the world. And then the last one is the harbor of Rio de Janeiro. And it just is breathtaking. People come from all around to see that. They have the big statue of Jesus overlooking the harbor, but it's one of the, the seven wonders of the world. They're sights to behold. They're things you look at and you just go, wow, like this is amazing. Amazing work, God, on your creation. I've titled today's message, Beholding Christmas. That when we really get an understanding of Christmas, we go, wow. We go, wow. The word behold in, is, is the same word in Hebrew, which our Old Testament was translated from Hebrew to English, and the New Testament from Greek, Greek to English. And the, the word in Hebrew is hine. And the word in Greek is id-u. Say that with me, id-u. 
ooh, you just got your Greek lesson for the day. And it means to gaze upon. It means to pay attention. When you see the word behold, it's saying, look at this. There's something amazing is happening, or listen, pay attention to what's going on here. In modern vernacular, we might say like, dude, you got to see this. Or might say, dude, pay attention. (laughs) Pay attention to what's going on here. So there's three things to understand Christmas or to, to gaze upon, have our minds blown by the incarnation at Christmas to really understand. And the first thing to behold is behold the child. Behold the child. Behold the child. We sang the song, What Child Is This? And to behold the child, the babe in the manger, is to pay attention, to gaze upon. What child is this? What, the people who gathered around the manger were beholding this amazing child, the Son of God. Made me think about um, when my oldest daughter, Chase, was born. She's 27 now, but I can tell you the day of her birth like it was, you know, yesterday. I can describe what was going on and get into the hospital and all, all that had happened. And I remember right after she was born and she, she came out and her, her head looked like Megamind. Like it, it, it was all, it, it all kind of crooked. And it startled me, like fear came over me, like, uh-oh, she has some kind of birth defect. And the nurse could tell, I was like, what is going on with my baby? And she said, don't worry, it's normal. She put a little stocking cap on her head. And she said, this, the skull is very um, soft when babies are born, and it'll no- be normal in a few hours. And I was like, Whew, okay. But I remember beholding my child. Any of you that have had kids, it's, it's mind-boggling to to see your child. Birth is such a miracle thing of, of God. And, and I know there's a God when you see a child be born. It's like, how could you argue with the reality of a, of a creator who thought through every detail? In Matthew 1, and 23, it says, now all this took place so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet would be fulfilled. Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Matthew is directly quoting the prophet Isaiah in, in Isaiah seven fourteen. those very words, behold, the virgin will conceive a child, and you'll call him Emmanuel. We also see, and the reality of that is 700 years prior to the birth of Jesus was that written. So 700 years. In Isaiah 9, 6, it says, For unto us a child has been born, a son has been given, and you shall, he shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Behold the child. Pay attention to the child. You think about the virgin birth. Like Jesus came into this world like nobody else did. We all... Whether you, I think you realize this, you're, you're all grown-ups in here. We all had to come into the world a certain way, not Jesus. A virgin conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, yet he was fully God and fully human, just like you and I. 
He made himself vulnerable to the elements. Jesus had to have his little diaper changed. He cried when, when he was hungry. He had to nurse, do all the same things that any other baby comes into this world has those needs. But the incarnation and the virgin birth are just such a crucial thing to understand the gospel. The incarnation, that's a big word for Christmas. It's a theological word that God became one of us. God the Son became one of us. He entered into this world to rescue us. Um, every Christmas season the last few years, I've been rereading a book called On the Incarnation by a church father named Athanasius. He wrote this little short book, which you could probably find um, for free on the, on the internet, Athanasius, On the Incarnation. And in this book is written about 300 years after Jesus. And he said, what was a good God to do watching his creation perish into nothingness? That was the meaning of the incarnation. In other words, God said, not on my watch. I am not going to let humanity perish. I am going to step into their world and do something permanently for my loving creation. That's how much God loved us. That's the meaning behind the child is the incarnation. And I think about the people that were around the manger. You think about the shepherds. Mary and Joseph obviously were, were mind-boggled getting the message from the angel about who this son was going to be to them. And I think about the three wise men, the magi that traveled far to come and bring gifts to Jesus and to worship this child, to worship the child. Practically, I would challenge all of us in this Christmas season, in this new year, worship Jesus with all your life. Give him the very best of everything you have. You're going to fail. You're going to make mistakes, but get back up and trust him and trust him for the grace that he has for each one of us. And so as we behold Christmas, as we move deeper, so to speak, from more than just behold the child, secondly, to behold the lamb. Behold the lamb. I think about this often. In his humanity, the baby Jesus grew, right? And he kept growing just like a normal human being grows. And he had to become self-aware of who he was. As he would search the scriptures, he would see things about himself and say, ooh, that's written about me. Plus, Mary and Joseph would have told him things about how special he was. But he, he was on a, a progressive revelation about who he was. And we're told that on the eighth day after his birth, he was dedicated in the temple, which was the custom of the Jews. They would bring him to the temple and be blessed and so forth. And from the eighth day of his birth, we don't read, there's nothing recorded about what happened in his life until he was 12 years old, where he was found in the temple, blowing the minds of the religious leaders and his understanding of Scripture. Because if you remember the story, Mary and Joseph had gone from Nazareth to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival, and then they were on their way home. So think about it. You're, they're going from like Denver to Fort Collins, 
and you're halfway there in, in Longmont and realize, where's Jesus? <laughs> uh, he's way away. Your 12-year-old son has been separated from you. They would have freaked out. It made me think about when Chandler, our middle daughter, when, um, when the girls were, were little, I would take them every, I would take turns every other Saturday and do a daddy-daughter breakfast. And I would take them individually to McDonald's. And we'd eat our little McDonald's breakfast, and then we'd go play in the, you know, the play area. And this one particular Saturday, um, Chandler, we were in there, and I had my coffee, and she's playing. And I stepped literally 10 to 20 feet out of the room to get a refill of coffee. And I came back in to the play area, and I said, Chandler? It sounded just like that. <laughs> Chandler? And then all of a sudden, fear drops on me. What the heck? And I went outside of the play area, and this guy saw me, and he could see this look of terror on my face. He goes, are you okay? I said, no, I may have lost my daughter. And he goes, well, let me help. And I walked back into the play area, and I said, Chandler? And she came down the little slide, hi, Dad. I was like, oh, your heart just sinks at that moment. Think about what Mary and Joseph would have felt as parents. They're 12-year-olds miles from them in the big city of Jerusalem. Well, it says that, that Jesus was in the temple, and he was sharing the scriptures and teaching the religious leaders about God, about life, about how to interpret uh, the Hebrew scriptures. And I think about that development of, of, of Jesus and his understanding about who he was. And, and when we behold the Lamb, think about Jesus reading Isaiah 53, where it talks about his, it's a prophecy about his life, death, and resurrection, that he would be like a sheep going to the slaughter. And he would read all these things about the Lamb being slain, and he would see himself. Because over 20 times, Jesus in the Gospels tells the disciples and others that he was going to have to suffer and die at the hands of sinful men, but on the third day, he would rise again. He knew he was the lamb that was going to, to be the sacrifice. In John's Gospel, speaking of John the Baptist, says, the next day, John the Baptist, he saw Jesus coming to him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not just any lamb, but the Lamb of God. The child was on a mission. He was on a rescue mission to rescue you and I because God the Father loved us so much that He gave His only Son that if any of us believe, we won't perish but have everlasting life. He was the sacrifice. He sacrificed himself willingly, laid down his life in submission to the anger of humanity. It's mind-boggling. Revelation 13, 8 says that Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. In the mind of God, in the plan of God, he was be slain before the foundation of the world. 
Ephesians 1, 4 says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. You know what that means? That means that you and I were found in Christ before we were ever lost in Adam. Because the plan of God the found, the, before the foundation of the world was before the fall of Adam and Eve. In the Old Testament, in the Levitical system, the priest would sacrifice the lamb and then put the, the blood on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant and atone for the people's sins. If you think about Jesus, behold the child, behold the lamb, he was both the priest who did the, the, the work and he was the lamb who was the sacrifice. In Revelation, Jesus is called the Lion of Judah once. He's the lamb on the throne about 12 times. He's referred to as the lamb. John said he saw a lamb on the throne. Lamb, a lamb is not a very intimidating creature. You know why? Because our God's humble and chooses to identify with meekness and gentleness. Although he is the creator and sustainer and all authority is his, our God's humble. Christmas tells us that he's humble, that he came into this world and humbled himself, like Philippians 2 says, in appearance as a man. So we behold the child to understand Christmas, meaning look at the child, pay attention. Behold the lamb, pay attention, look, gaze upon, and then behold the man. Behold the man. The night of his betrayal, Jesus was in a couple kangaroo courts, so to speak, before Pilate and before the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin and Caiaphas, trying to find a reason to justify crucifying Jesus. And they beat him. They scourged him. Did all kinds of physical things to Jesus before they crucified him. And as the people were shouting, give us Barabbas, crucify him, Pilate was like, I find no guilt in this man. Give us Barabbas. When you see crucify him, give us Barabbas, put yourself in the crowd. I put myself in the crowd. We would have been doing it too. And he was submitting himself to the wrath of humanity. Truly, he was says, Jesus then came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, behold the man. <laughs> Pay attention. Gaze upon the man. He had a crown of thorns on his head. And what, what, what he was really saying for you and I to gather in is behold your king. And that's the humility of our king is our king's crown was a crown of thorns. Our king's throne was a cross. That's your king. He did that for you and I because he was on this rescue mission for us. When Adam and Eve in the garden, they were, they were given stewardship to be fruitful and multiply. They were in perfect relationship with God. God gave them instructions. He said, steward this garden. He said, eat of any of the trees that you want. But don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I, I pre, I'm reserving that for myself. He said, if you eat from it, you'll die. 
Well, you know the story. The serpent comes and tempts Eve. Adam's sitting right there watching this happen. He didn't step in and protect his wife, so his silence was his guilt. And watching this happen as she saw that the fruit was, was, was desirable, she desired it, and then she ate of it, and then she gave some to Adam. And when that happened, death entered into humanity. That's why we call it the fall. Man, the, the, the penalty or the, the, the result, consequence, was death. And some of you have probably seen this illustration before, but I think it's one of the best. Sorry for the Bronco sock. That didn't work out so good. It was better yesterday when I was going through this during the day. But this sock, let's just say it represents, you know, it's, it's, it's right side out. And this was Adam and Eve, their life and relationship with God and one another prior to eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When they did that, when they ate what they weren't supposed to, they turned humanity and our relationship to God inside out, wrong side out. How about that? And how many of us know people are living inside, inside out, wrong side out? I know I did for the first 25 years of my life, pursuing myself and pursuing my own you know, desires rather than following Jesus. But what Jesus did in coming as a child and becoming the lamb who would you know, take care of the sins of the world, Jesus went right into the belly of the problem. He went right into it through his life, death, and resurrection, and he reversed it to right side out. He did that for us. I know we don't always realize it as we have things happen in our life, and in this life we still have trials and sorrows, but Jesus took care of us in rescuing us through his death and resurrection from sin, death, and the evil one. He rescued you from those enemies. They don't have authority over you anymore. You're his. And Paul told Timothy, he said, there's one mediator between God and man. It's the man, Jesus Christ. Behold the man. Behold your king. There's a lot of, lot of bad news in the world today. How many would agree with that? You turn the TV on and it's the war, the things going on in Israel, fentanyl crisis, betrayal. I mean, it's one thing after another where you're just hearing bad news. And it just makes you go, gosh, Lord, come, come. And he is going to come. He's going to make all things right. Well, two more things to behold, to pay attention to, to look at, to gaze upon. Revelation 22, 12 and 13. Here's what Jesus says. Behold, pay attention is what he's saying. I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He says, behold, I'm coming quickly. 2,000 years to us doesn't seem quick. That's a long time. But to the the one who's outside of time and space, that 2,000 years is a blink of an eye to him. And God is patient with humanity, not wanting any to perish, but all 
to come to repentance and the knowledge of the Son of God. He came the first time in humility. He cloaked His glory in a human body. Philippians 2 tells us that, that He humbled Himself. When He comes again, He's coming in glory. Every eye will see how fantastic the King of Kings really is and will behold truly and pay attention to our Creator and Sustainer, Jesus. And as surely as He came the first time, He's going to come again. All the prophecies that were written about Jesus that He fulfilled in His first coming as a child, as the Lamb, as a man, there are still prophecies to be fulfilled about His return and, and setting all the wrongs right setting all the wrongs right. He came the first time not to solve all the world's problems. He came to solve the problem of sin, death, and the evil one. He's coming again. He's going to solve all the other problems of sickness and sorrow and poverty and, and all of that. We're in between that time. And then in Revelation 3.20, here's Jesus' invitation. He says, Behold, pay attention. Look, gaze upon. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. That's an invitation to intimacy and to friendship. And it's, a, it's an ancient way. When you share a meal, when you invite someone to have a meal, to come into to their home, there's a, there's a connection, a bond that's there that sometimes we probably don't get in our modern world, but see it that way. And when Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock, he's saying this, will you agree with me that my Father loves you? Will you agree with me that I love you? Will you agree with me that God is good and faithful? Will you agree with me, Jesus is saying, that I'm Savior? Will you agree with me that I'm Lord? Will you agree with me that I know what's best for your life because I created you? Follow me. Follow me. Put into practice what Jesus says to do in life. Become a student of Jesus. Agree with him. So what child is this? He's the creator and sustainer of all things. Even when Jesus was in Mary's womb, he was holding the universe together by the power of his mind. He was still holding the universe. Think about that. As, an, as a, you know, a babe in the, in the womb, he's still holding all things together. When he walked this earth, he was holding all things together with his mind. He's still seated at, now seated at the right hand of the Father, holding all things together. The universe comes together because of Jesus. He's the creator and sustainer and redeemer of all things. He's the King of kings. King of kings, Lord of lords, God of gods. There's no one like him. And yet, this God that's so vast and amazing said, I want you to be part of my family and did what he did for us. 
We're told in the scriptures that he adopted us into his family. That adoption is into a family is the eternal relationship between the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit. And that we're in that very relationship of the Father and Son. The Father never was separated from the Son while Jesus was on this earth. Never once. He was with Him all the way through the cross. We're told in 2 Corinthians 5 that the Father was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting men's trespasses against them. You can't separate the Father and the Son. And we've been adopted into not a relationship like that, but that very eternal relationship. Does that make sense? This has got to make sense. Because there's no secure place that you and I could ever find ourselves in, but in the relationship of the Father-Son that's eternal, from eternity past that cannot be broken. You're in that relationship. Let's live like sons and daughters that are secure in our relationship with our Creator through the Son. That's something to behold. That is something to behold. That's something to hold on to. That's something to build your life upon. And it's a foundation that can't be broke by anything in this life. It's yours. All we do is agree. To have faith is to agree with God. He's worthy of our worship and He's worthy of our allegiance. And none of us are going to do either one of these perfect. And he knows that and He loves us. And He's helping us. Will you stand with me and let's, let's sing and behold the King of Kings this morning. Try to put all the cares of the day aside for a moment and focus in on the security that we have because of the relationship of the Father and the Son and you're in that relationship. Go. Cool. 
that empty tomb He's not there for He is risen Every heart prepare Him room Jesus Christ the King of Heaven Oh come let us adore Him Come let us adore Him for He alone is worthy, Christ the Lord. We give you all the glory. We give you all the glory. We give you all the glory, Christ the Lord. purpose that goes beyond anything this world offers. We individually and collectively choose this day to build our lives on the foundation of your son. Lord, as we're not only approaching Christmas, we're approaching a new year. And I pray as we go through this holiday season that Lord, the pain that some people experience that, that holidays muster up grief and loss. Um, may you comfort them with the comfort that only you can give. Flood and fill our minds with the good news. Flood and fill our homes with joy and love. And may we be salt and light not just in the walls of this building, but out and beyond in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, our schools, to be ambassadors of your hope, 
Lord, bring us to people that, that need to hear about Jesus. Lord, make us aware of people around us. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you're, you've done and what you're doing and you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.